is Polyphonic Press, the podcast where two music fans pick a classic album completely at random. Using the patented random album generator, they are given an album to review from a curated list of over 1,000 classic releases, spanning multiple genres. And now onto the show. Here are your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, let's not waste any time. We've got the patented random album generator right in front of us here. Uh, So let's hit the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week. And the album we're going to be listening to is Sonic Youth, Daydream Nation. Ah, Sonic Youth. Cool. I have heard of Sonic Youth. I don't think I have actually heard them. I've heard little bits of them, so maybe slightly more familiar, but I'm not like really familiar with them either. I know they were a big influence in like they were around in the 80s and they were sort of like a, a underground band and then they were a big influence on alternative a lot of alternative rock that came to be popular in the 90s. So I know of them and I know the influence of them, but I don't think I've ever actually heard them. But uh, anyway, this is what it says on allmusic.com. It says, Sonic Youth made a major step forward with 1987's Sister, their first album where the songs were as strong as the group's visionary approach, and they rocked with the force and authority they'd clearly sought since the beginning. If 1988's Daydream Nation didn't make as decisive a leap in terms of theory or style, as far as execution was concerned, it was Sonic Youth's first unqualified masterpiece, a triumph that made them one of the most respected bands in indie rock. Initially released as a two-LP set, the sheer scope of Daydream Nation was ambitious, but the longer tracks worked to Sonic Youth's advantage, allowing them the space to lay down solid melodic structures and then use them as a framework for extended jams. Thankfully, the band made splendid use of their wanderlust without wearing out their welcome. Sonic Youth were playing at the top of their game on the Daydream Nation sessions. The guitar interplay between Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo was stronger and more intuitive than before, and bassist Kim Gordon and drummer Steve Shelley had grown into a powerful rhythm section that cut an impressive groove, giving the band a greater freedom to explore the space around them without getting lost. Sonic Youth were not simply tighter on Daydream Nation, they were making better and more satisfying use of their arsenal of alternate tunings and bent but elemental song structures, and the final product fused their love of creatively applied noise and the sound of the electric guitar with song song structures that merged elements of punk, prog, boogie, and psychedelia. The journey from the trippy joy of Teenage Riot and the hot-rotted chugle of Eliminator Jr. was a bracing, glorious experience, and Daydream Nation confirmed their status as one of America's best and most original alternative rock bands, and one that had had a shot at a future outside of the underground, a pleasant surprise given the alienating air of their earliest work. Now, I do know 
one thing about Sonic Youth is that they had like these custom instruments. I mean, the two lead guitar players are known for playing jazz masters, but Sonic Youth used to have like a huge arsenal of these like completely custom instruments that they were just like they look like trashed guitars with strings across them and and strange things and pickups and weird spots and stuff like that and I know at one point their trailer got stolen with all their gear and they like they were like well it's not like we can just go out and get new guitars these were like <laughs> very specific for very specific songs yeah <laughs> that's crazy uh okay so this uh this is their fifth studio album it was released on uh 18th of October 1988 and the genres are noise rock, experimental rock, alternative rock, art punk, indie rock, and punk rock. It was released on a number of labels, depending on the area, but in the U.S. it was released on Enigma Records, Blast First in the U.K., Torso in the Netherlands, uh, Ah Go Go in Australia, DGC, uh, which is the Geffen's label in the 1993 reissue. Uh, so this is technically a double album but there's only three songs per side so what we'll do is we'll treat it as a single album and we'll listen to like disc one and disc two it's just because it's it's just a double album because the songs are long it's not really a lot of songs we'll start the album with if you're listening along we're going to start with uh the song teenage riot and we'll end uh side one or part one the first half of the album uh with the song total trash and then we'll stop and and, uh discuss halfway through and uh without further ado here we go here's the first song on the album called teenage riot Right, ending the first half of the album with the song Total Trash, which is uh, a cool title and a cool song. I like that. I'm really liking this so far. Yeah, it's. uh, I'm getting the similar sort of vibes from the Eric's Trip one. I mean, the song, there's a song called Eric's Trip where they got the name. I'm getting sort of like the same kind of vibe, but I think the songs are a little bit more cohesive that's exactly what i was thinking exactly what i was thinking it's like they yeah the songs have a little more structure to them they're more thought out there's more it it is a genre of noise rock but it's like the noise elements the noise parts are more intentional rather like they're more deliberate less random Uh, less random exactly they feel like they're it's part of the song and the, and it's not the whole song. I mean, what is it? I think it was the second song, silver rocket, like a quarter of the way through it goes to this long noisy section. And then it goes back into the, the, the verse and chorus part. And so it's the noise is more of an element of the song rather than the whole thing. Um, I was just uh, reading a little bit about this album, and this is from this is what it says on um, 
about the the writing process of this uh this album and it says sonic's sonic youth's standard songwriting method involved thurston moore bringing in melody ideas and chord changes that the band would spend several months fashioning into full-length songs uh, instead of paring the songs down as the group did with previous records the months-long writing process for Daydream Nation resulted in long jams, some lasting over half an hour. Several friends of the band, including Henry Rollins, had praised the band's long live improvisations and told the group that its records never captured them. Uh, with Moore on a writing spree, the album ultimately had to be expanded to a double album. So that's why the songs are a little bit long. It's because they're they were known for these long jams. And Henry Rollins said that you need to do that on yeah, the record. Yeah, they said, you guys are amazing <laughs> live, and you do these things live, but it's not really captured on your albums. You need to, to do that on your albums. So this is sort of like th- their live shows, or what their live shows would be like, captured on, on an album, on record. And so that's that that gave me some insight. It was like, okay, so that's why these songs are a lot of these songs are a little longer. That's why it has these noise rock elements. And they're taking, I guess, what they're doing is they're taking the best parts of the jams and sort of boiling the boiling them down to these these uh, shorter quote unquote songs. But some of the highlights from like I I loved the first song, Teenage Riot. That was. Right out of the gate, that was a really great song. Um, and the Sprawl had a really cool guitar part. Uh, I really liked that as well. Yeah, I, I think I liked the Sprawl too. That was pretty cool. I do know why I never got into uh, Sonic Youth. I was, um, it was, I was in college, and it was either Canadian Music Week or North by Northeast. I can't remember. But uh, we were going around to these bars and we were seeing all these bands and uh, one band set up and it was just a noise rock band and that's all they were doing. And I'm and I turned to my friend and I said, uh, my friend Lloyd, and I said, uh, this this sucks. Like, what is this? And he said, oh, no, man, this is cool. This is like Sonic Youth. I say, well, okay, well, I don't like Sonic Youth then. <laughs> I think that's why I avoided them. Yeah, I'm not really a huge fan of noise rock for the most part. Like this is I can sort of get a little bit behind this one just because the song structures are there, but the the noise rock portion of it is still a little beyond me to be perfectly honest. I I think of it more as like like an ambient sort of thing. Yeah, I can get that. I think of it as like a not so much music but more like a soundscape like a just like making a sound not so much music but like i don't know seeing what the like creating a a a texture i suppose uh the other thing that i was reading about them is they used alternative tunings on their guitars and uh so the reason is is because you like you were saying earlier they had these like really cheap guitars that they that's all they they could afford and cheap it says like 
cheap guitars sound like cheap guitars, but there's a quote from Michael Azrad who wrote that Sonic Youth uh, could only afford cheap guitars and uh, cheap guitars sounded like cheap guitars, but with weird tunings or something jammed under uh, a particular fret, those humble instruments could sound rather amazing. Bang a drumstick on a cheap Japanese Stratocaster copy in the right tuning, crank the amplifier to within an inch of its life, and it will sound like church bells. <laughs> well, I don't know about church bells, but it definitely sounds interesting. It's definitely interesting, <laughs> and it's it's it's. I like that ingenuity, that experimentation. You know, that sort of like, well, we've we have to work with what we've got. I've seen pictures of some of these custom instruments and they're some of them like there's a guitar. I think there's a guitar without a neck and something like that. And it's just got strings wrapped to like this, this in place of a neck is just like a chunk of wood or something. It's just, it's crazy. And yes, drumsticks jammed in, in like on frets and stuff like that on other ones and pickups drilled in and weird spots. And yeah, it's they're They're pretty wild. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's and that's pretty uh, pretty amazing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least sometimes, and 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 I think uh, I think it was John Cleese was saying about comedy is like budget is very good for comedy because you have to work within limitations. Um, I think uh, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail was all filmed all the the. I think they only used one castle for everything and because that's all they could afford. And I think that applies here is like they, they have the, they don't, they can't afford the most expensive equipment in the world. And so they're experimenting with what they've got and trying to make it sound the best that they can. And I, I think that's, that's really cool. No, I, I, I agree. I, like I said, when I was reading about those instruments, I just found that fascinating whether or not the music was like hit me the same way. It's just, but, but just the fact that they did it that way was fascinating to me, but no, the music's not bad. It's just, uh, some of it's a little bit beyond me, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if this helps, I actually can hear, uh, I can hear a lot of early Sloan in this. Yeah. Yeah, and the I can hear the Velvet Underground influence on this too. Like the his voice is uh, in some of the songs. There's Thurston Moore is very similar to Lou Reed. Yeah, I can hear lots of stuff like that. So uh, anyway, so I guess we'll move on to the uh, the next half of the album, and it starts with the song "Hey Joni." So here we go. Okay, and ending the album with a trilogy with uh, part A, The Wonder, part B, Hyperstation, and part Z, Eliminator Jr. Oh, that was a journey. (laughs) Yeah, I think I like the second half a little bit better than I like the first half, but it might be just because I'm starting to sort of get used to it. (laughs) Um, I really liked Rain King. I thought that was a pretty cool song. That is a very good song, yeah took me a while to get into this kind of music it took me a while to get into like late 80s early 90s alternative sort of stuff 
and uh, some of it's easier than others. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it took me a while to get into like the Pixies are very good. A lot of those bands, Teenage Fan Club, um, My Bloody Valentine, all those bands are really good. They have some like really good songs. And when you think about what was dominating the the radio in the eighties, and it's like, oh, the this is. It's like I thought I hated 80, 80s music. No, I just hate eighties mainstream music. Um, <laughs> and I I don't hate it, but you know, there's some still some good stuff, but a lot of it is not great. Um, but yeah, no, this I, I'm I'm really into this. Uh, I never thought I would like Sonic Youth, and it's just because of that experience that I had. <laughs> and I'm glad I this album came up, and I'm glad I kind of got over that. Yeah, I think it take it'll take a, a few more listens for me to really get it. But yeah, it's a, it's a, I do think it's better than the uh, the Eric Strip one that 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 we were listening to. And again, that was still their early stuff. So, um, but this just seemed a little bit more cohesive, a little bit more put together, a little bit more thought through. Yeah, exactly. It's like the same sort of idea, but more. Yeah, you're right. More, more th- thought out. More, um, more deliberate. More intentional. And um, yeah, I mean, this the, there's the songwriting is really good. Um, it's just the the overall presence. The playing is really good. Uh, the just the the fact that they are experimenting with like different tunings and different sounds. There was some, a moment where it they it did get pretty close to like a bell sort of sound hitting the guitar. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, that did sound a little bit. Um, it's that uh, sort of a uh, chimey sound that you sort of get with the uh, the high where the strings are attached to the peg head or something like that. Or sometimes you get it at the bit at the bridge, but yeah, where it just gets that clang sound. Yeah. No. And, uh, I mean, like I can hear, I can hear a lot of the, like, there's a lot of influence from the velvet underground. I guess this is sort of like the velvet underground of the eighties sort of thing, I guess. Um, you know, yeah, I can sort of see that. There's something about this. I I think it's the, the, the production as well. I mean, when you think of eighties production, the, the drums on here are very tight and very, um, it sounds like a natural drum kit. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's drenched in reverb. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes there's a lot of chorus on the guitar, but it wasn't every song. It wasn't every song, and yeah, it was used sparingly. And I don't, I don't mind chorus on the guitar if it's if it serves the song. And uh, but yeah, the 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 overall the the sonic quality of it is, you know, it sounds. It it actually sounds timeless because of that because the the drums and it are sound very natural and there's it's not drenched in reverb. Whenever I hear like eighties typical eighties snare like on on um pick anything really if it's just drenched in reverb, it's not necessarily bad. It depends on the song and depends on how if it's not done to excess. But it still sounds like the 80s. Like, it still sounds like that decade, that time. This, 
could have been recorded yesterday or, you know, and it's, it's, it would have been, it still would have, you could have told me this was a, a new album and I would have believed it. It's, it has a timeless quality to the, to the, uh, the sound of it. Yeah. It, it it's not re- relying too much on the, the tropes of its time. No, I agree. Um, yes. Production wise, it's, uh, I, I don't know exactly what was going on in the boardrooms of, of the music business at that time, but everybody seemed to have to do certain things in the 80s, and it just was too much. But it's just funny. It's it's like whenever I hear something like this, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's from the 80s, and I hear it, it's like, that doesn't sound like... Because I have this preconceived idea in my head of what the 80s sound like. Exactly. 80s production sounds like 80s production until it doesn't. And then you go... Well, that just doesn't sound like the '80s. Yeah, so I'm I, I'm pleasantly uh, not surprised, but like it's it's refreshing to hear something from that era that sounds like this. So the question: Would you listen to this again? Probably uh, not immediately, but I think I'm gonna have to at some point just to sort of come get it. Like certainly the second half, I'd probably go through again at least. Um, it just seemed to be. Um, yeah, maybe just, uh, I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would too. I mean, I, I, I think I might like it a little more than you do, but, uh, I, I really like this and yeah, I, this, I'm, I think I'm, I might be a fan of Sonic Youth now. Uh, so yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this album. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think I'm going to be adding it to my, uh, to my collection. All right, so I guess we'll uh, end the episode there. Uh, thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. Uh, we actually want to hear from you, whether you agree or disagree with our review of this album. Uh, you can always reach out to us uh, by going to the contact page of our website, uh, polyphonicpress.com. And while you're there, you can check out previous episodes. Uh, and if you want to support the show, you can do that uh, by going to buymeacoffee.com slash polyphonicpress. Uh, it's really easy. You don't need uh, to sign up for anything. All those link, all all those links are in the show notes. And I think that just about does it. Uh, I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. <laughs>